we've been talking about disability and, and diversity and gender pay gap and black and ethnic minority hiring for a long time now. This is not new. And yet our diversity statistics and public relations are still atrocious. Sarah Hawthorne was recently included in the Shaw Trust Disability Power 100 for her work towards a more inclusive world. She's a hard-of-hearing business owner, having run Leeds-based Infusion PR for five years, and has some strong opinions about the way the communications industry is tackling diversity. Diversity has become trendy and popular and a tick-box exercise, without people really taking the time to understand fundamentally what that means, and what that means is to create an inclusive culture, an inclusive workforce, all those kind of things need to be considered. And I think we are struggling with diversity and I think we've created a rod for our own backs and that we've told ourselves it's hard. I don't necessarily think I agree with that. Sarah believes that we may have reached an impasse and that in order to move forward, we have to start employing diverse teams now they are far more likely to make that a priority because that need is present on a daily basis. Whereas if we don't have that in our teams, the delay in getting to that point is going to be you know, longer and longer because people just don't see the needs for it. In this episode of the podcast, Sarah and I talk about exclusion due to gender, disability, sexual orientation, ethnicity or religion and about changing the conversation from accessibility to inclusion. When we look, talk about accessibility, we kind of have to consider who's excluded and how can we bring them in. Whereas if you think about it inclusively, you'll put those things in place before you create something. This is Digital Download podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. So Sarah, you've been teaching at Leeds University recently. You're doing some guest lecturing there? I am. How's that been going? So I started as a visiting lecturer at Leeds Trinity University early part of October, which has been quite a, an educating process for me. It's quite interesting going from the world of business into academia. Yeah, I'd imagine so. How, how have you found that? sort of comparison it's definitely taken me a few weeks to get into the swing of things uh, sort of university life um, and I think for me coming from an agency background as well it's, it's quite interesting speaking to young people what I found is that there is big differences in what I had assumed as a marketer and a PR person as to what young people think and feel about certain things. Okay. And actually some of that's not true. Like, like what, for example? About their knowledge and understanding of social platforms, their understanding and awareness of maybe campaigns. Like we talked about the Nike campaign and the Colin Kaepernick campaign, and only two of them were aware of it. Right. And I thought it being such a, a big brand, more of them would have been aware of that um, particular campaign. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that then, from your experience, is that just because they haven't, at, to this point at least, been taught about tracking news in, in what's happening in, in this specific area? I'm not sure. I think it's more to do with how they are using social media these days. And it's very much to communicate with their friends. Yeah. It's not so much the way in which we probably use it as our generation. And, you know, I use Twitter for a lot of news updates and then I'll go in and research it and find out, you know, what's fake and what isn't really. But I think it is more down to the fact that they are not, they do not have that larger awareness that we think they maybe do. Okay, that's interesting. Well, 
I mean, we could go into that. Actually, we could have an episode on that. But <laughs> today we are going to talk specifically about diversity. And this is, is such a big issue. I'd like to start off really by congratulating you because you've been included in the Shaw Trust Disability Power 100, which is very grand. <laughs> Thank um, you. It's a very grand title, isn't it? <laughs> but what that basically is, is a list of the 100 most influential people in the UK with a disability who's working towards a more inclusive world. That's a, yes. a good summary, is it? Yeah, I think that's an accurate summary. So you, you must have been pretty pretty chuffed to be included in that list. Yeah, I was really surprised. Honestly, I think I had a little bit of imposter syndrome over it because I, 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 although I've been doing more and more on this over the last few years, it still doesn't feel like I'm doing enough and I have that constant drive to do more and achieve more with the diversity work that I do and obviously being included on this was was wonderful and a recognition of that but there is a little bit of me that goes but I still haven't done enough yeah I still haven't done enough to be worthy of inclusion I guess and there are some really incredible people on that list absolutely doing wonderful wonderful things yeah I mean I, I guess I know where you're coming from a bit because I have a similar sort of feeling when it comes to mental health and that being a, an issue with PR and comms mm-hmm. and having done my bit in it, let's say, over the last three or four years, I still think there's so much more that can be done. Yeah. But with, with that particular issue, it, I think it's m- more broadly accepted and, and there are more people getting involved in that conversation. Whereas with the diversity one, maybe it's maybe that's not the case just yet. Yes, I think you're right. What I find kind of interesting about the whole mental health popularity, and I mean that in the nicest way, because it's a really important topic and we do have to look at it. But alongside things like the the gender gap, mental health has become quite a popular topic. But what doesn't seem to get discussed is the fact that if you have a long-term mental health issue or challenge, then you probably fit into the disability bracket. Yes, absolutely. So, and, And what we don't put together are those two things so we'll talk about mental health in isolation but what we don't talk about is the fact that actually that's classed as a disability for those who have been living with it for more than 12 months and it has like a fundamental impact on their daily life so if we're going to talk about mental health for me we need to associate it with disability we need to get people to understand that actually you know, disability is such a broad thing and it affects so many people in different ways, such as mental health, that if we can normalise and remove the stigma of mental health, then we can definitely do it related to, to disability. Yeah, I'd agree. It's kind of a big leap with the way things have been so far, but I am in total agreement with you because speaking from experience, it is, it's it's hard. It really is tough. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's not go too far down that route. I wanted to talk to you specifically because you are hard of hearing. Yeah. Do you believe that you are or have been excluded from things happening in the PR and comms world because of that? That's a good question and a difficult one to answer. Um, <laughs> because, no, because I, it's only in the last five or six years that I have both as a person and in my professional life been able to fully comprehend the impact my hearing loss has had on my life for the vast majority of my career I ignored it I didn't tell people I didn't ask for any kind of support I just got on with it now I don't think that was the right decision looking back on it and hindsight is a wonderful thing but I can't actively say that I was excluded because people didn't know. Okay. But 
whether that's had an impact as far as people's impressions of me go, possibly. And networking is probably a really good example of that. So when I first started Infusion, I went to a lot of local networking events, um, tried to raise my profile and obviously make a good first impression. But in a lot of the environments acoustically, that was very difficult for me because I had absolutely no idea what was being said. I couldn't keep up with the conversations. I felt out of place and then that gives you sort of social anxiety as well because you're thinking I'm I, you know I'm a business owner I'm meant to be here portraying myself and my and my company in the best light possible yep. and I've had to ask someone's name five times and now they look a bit annoyed and they're probably going to walk away so there's things like that that I've had to get better at dealing with so possibly there's been some exclusion as far as networking goes but Overall, in my career, probably not because of my reluctance to talk about it. Okay, that makes that makes perfect sense. There are two examples, though, that I can give you of things you have said to me in the, in the last couple of years or year or so. Firstly, we are talking now on a podcast, okay? And I know this sounds like <laughs> such a stupid and ignorant thing to say from my perspective. Am I, as a podcast producer excluding a group of people from being able to take part in content like this very glad you asked that question because i kind of knew what it was going because i know we've talked about things in the past related to this i can hear through headphones i mean it's kind of pointless for me to have the right one on because the right ear is a dead ear but i can still hear through my left ear there are a lot of different technologies so people who wear hearing aids now can connect straight through to to headphones and, and music sets and things like that. So okay. the accessibility of technology for those who are hearing aid users is is wonderful now and actually doesn't exclude them as much anymore. Okay. However, what I would say is that as a podcast producer, make sure that you cover all the aspects that you can. So is there a transcript available and down- downloadable for each episode? And I think that's the key thing, particularly for podcasts, because a lot of people who have hearing loss can listen to podcasts. It's, yeah. it's absolutely fine. But for those who, for British Sign Language users, people who are completely deaf, for whom that's not an option, make a transcript available. It's interesting you say that because I, to this point at least, have not transcribed this podcast. And I'm now on, I don't know, 35 episodes or something. And the reason I haven't is basically because I've not found a really good technology to do it. Mm-hmm. And with the best will in the world, I'm not going to sit there for a day transcribing a podcast episode. But I totally get the reasons why I should be doing it from an accessibility point of view. And, you know, listening to you, it's something I will look at, definitely. There are issues with it. They, um, I was on a podcast a, a month or so ago and the person that I, I recorded it with has just written an article about this type of thing. So about being able to add subtitles to video and about transcripts. And you're right, there is no technology available or easily available to do it. It's sometimes got a cost attached and also it's very time in- intensive. And that's one of my issues with accessibility over inclusivity. Yeah. Because when we look, talk about accessibility, we kind of have to consider who's excluded 
and how can we bring them in? Whereas if you think about it inclusively, you'll put those things in place before you create something. Mm -hmm. So I do think that software producers, tech, this is where tech, I think, can, can deliver real benefits for people with disabilities. It's things like this that we need to be better at in order to reach more people and be more inclusive. Yeah, I would agree. And and when you look at the technology side of it, it it's a bit astounding to me because only last week I was presenting at uh, one of the Oxford University colleges and I showed the people in the room a video of Google's assistant making a phone call to a hair salon to make an appointment, which is it's just mind blowing. But you look at everything that Google has done with voice recognition and natural conversation and everything like that. I would love them to create a product that transcribed podcasts. And there, are, there is software out there. Don't get me wrong. There is stuff that does it. It's just when I, I see what Google does and the accuracy of it, it doesn't compare with the accuracy of some of these other systems at the moment. So I guess it's only a matter of time, but let's hope it comes along quickly. <laughs> but it won't come. I think the thing is it won't come along if the the people in charge of making such technology are not diverse. Right. And that's where, that's the issue that we have. So it's like an agency doing like Dove, for example, when they had that campaign that went terribly wrong for them. My question was, how diverse was the team that put that together? And that's always my question that goes back to. So if Google has a team of developers who are hard of hearing, who do use maybe ASL or BSL or, or, or another sort of language equivalent, then they are far more likely to make that a priority because that need is present on a daily basis. Whereas if we don't have that in our teams, the delay in getting to that point is going to be you know longer and longer because people just don't see the needs for it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because even going back to my podcast example, were I hard of hearing, I am damn sure that this would have been transcribed from episode one. In a broad diversity sense, then, is your opinion that because we have these issues with physical disability, there's mental health, there's gender equality, there's racial diversity, all of these different aspects to it, is this a catch-22 situation where if we don't have diverse people on our teams in the first place, then diversity is never effectively being tackled or is that a too simple way to put it i think there's an element there that's that's accurate and it's it's kind of why recently i've been looking more at the inclusion aspect than diversity because i think diversity has become trendy and popular and a tick box exercise without people really taking the time to understand fundamentally what that means and what that means is to create an inclusive culture, an inclusive workforce, and one that considers as many elements and facets of, of people and, and, for example, diversity of thought, diversity of cultures, all those kind of things need to be considered. And I think we are struggling with diversity and I think we've created a rod for our own backs and that we've told ourselves it's hard. Right. You know, we are continually, if you look at CIPR reports, PRCA reports, a lot of different articles and blogs, we talk about it being a complex problem. We talk about it being tough and a challenge. I don't necessarily think I agree with that. Okay. And is that because you think the language and approach to that is wrong? Like like you said, do you think it's because we talk about diversity and not inclusion? Yeah, I think that that's a lot to do with it. And I mean, I am I am a hard of hearing business owner and I have a team here that incorporates people with 
sort of people of the LGBT community. I have people that have um, mental health issues and obviously me with sort of the disability, you know, and, and on paper, we tick a lot of boxes, but what I don't have is an inclusive policy. I don't have a diversity policy written down. What I do have is a culture whereby my team members come to me and say, I'm having a really rough day. My anxiety is through the roof. I'm struggling a little bit. And I say, right, what do you need? How can we work through this? Let's do A, B and C or let's try this. And that is every day in my agency. That is how we work and that is how we operate. And I think we need to shift it towards culture and inclusiveness rather than diversity strategy, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it totally does. Inclusive culture should be of prime importance. They really should. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, I mean, your, your agency is obviously a, a very good example of, of where things could go. And I, I really hope things go that way in the future. You said there when you were talking about accessibility being a tick box. Now, that would relate maybe to things like conferences. And again, this is something that you and I have talked about in the past, because when I ran Digital Download back in the spring, you approached me and said, do you have an accessibility statement for the venue I was using? Mm-hmm. And at that point, again, I'm going to be completely honest and admit that I had not considered it. It, it hadn't even crossed my mind, which is, as someone who's organising an event, a really poor thing to admit to. Mm-hmm. I hope I put it right quite quickly. But again, in your experience, do you think that's a common thing? It is a common thing. And again, it goes back to the fact that if it's not something that is in your day-to-day life, then why would you consider it? And I think for me, I think about the acoustics of a building. I think about where I sit in a building. I have to ask them if they've got a loop system before I go to a conference or a seminar, because those are things that impact me on a daily basis. Now, for the likes of you, you don't ever have to think about that. So it isn't automatic for you. But what I really appreciated was the people that I reached out to, you know, and it was yourself and a couple of others, about events and PR events that they were hosting. Every one of them come back and went, yeah, we can absolutely do that. It's fine. So it's, it's a slow process of making sure we have those discussions and ask those questions. And I think it will change, but it is going to take time to do. Yeah, and I think that the very fact that you did reach out and bring it to my attention, I hugely appreciated that, I have to say, because like you say, it's just something that I had not considered, but absolutely I should have. You know, it it might take that prompting of, and it's not just you, everyone should be prompting everyone else about this stuff, because I think, my opinion is that generally people will be responsive if that prompt is there. Now, you can argue whether that prompt should be necessary, but clearly at the moment it is. Let's talk about gender equality a little bit, because that's another area that gets an awful lot of discussion. Mm -hmm. And you told me that you've got an academic friend who believes that we are kind of fed this story that if we solve the the gender equality problem, then it will help diversity all across the board. But 
they believe that that's not the case because of because of research that has taken place. Do you want to just go over that a little bit? Yeah, so I have I've quite a few female academic friends who specialise in in gender studies, um, amongst other things, and we we often have quite quite philosophical chats and debates. Being you know them being academics and me just being interested in things like this, and one of the discussions we were talking about was around diversity and and gender and particularly the promotion of women to boards and and women in the workforce and I had asked the question I said you know I'm really interested to know whether if we put the women on the boards if we get 50 50 all these kind of different things that we're aiming for will that automatically help diversity is there any research which says yes or no and and interestingly um, she came back and said yes there is a paper she says it's a it's a little bit old so what I've asked her to do is um ask around on some of her forums to see if I can get any more updated research on this that in in some fields it will help but in a lot of other fields that are already male dominated just putting women in will not naturally solve the diversity issue and I think there's a lot of pressure on women to be the champions of diversity and just to fix magically fix it all just by being there as in if women are on boards or if women are CEOs, are they going to hire women of colour? Are they going to hire women with disabilities? Now, there's some research evidence, like I say, that that came out, I think it was about 10 years ago, so it is a little bit older, that shows that that doesn't happen. And I'm kind of fascinated by that because I think gender is at the top of the diversity chain. And I mean okay. that, but the, there is definitely a hierarchy when it comes to talking about disability, um, diversity discussions. So you've got gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, religion, perhaps, and disability is usually always at the bottom of that list. Okay. In fact, something that I noticed was that in the um, CIPR's own State of the Profession report, disability doesn't even get its own heading under the diversity and inclusion section. Okay. So there's one for ethnicity, there's one for sexual orientation, there's one for religion, there's one for well-being, and there's one for diversity attitudes. There isn't a subheading for di- for disability at all. And I think we run the risk of placing all the responsibility for fixing diversity just by fixing the gender problem. I can see it, though, from, from a different perspective, maybe, that why would women being in in positions of power solve all these other diversity issues because going back to your point is if if it's not in your mind to fix a diversity issue around being hard of hearing for example or mental health or anything else why would a woman specifically be better at doing that than a man it it just doesn't follow to me does that make sense it does and i think it's an incorrect assumption and that because of the issues and challenges that women have faced throughout you know history with inequality that we automatically understand the trials and challenges of other marginalized groups right and i think that's again a a dangerous misconception i don't think everyone has that but i think that does exist to a certain extent and the thing is, you know, we're all we all have our own confirmation biases, regardless of, of gender or age or religion or ethnicity. We all have them and we all need to take steps to make sure that we challenge those biases. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, like you say, a lot of it comes down to what you were saying earlier about culture and encouraging inclusive cultures within agencies, companies, groups, all sorts of places. Do you think that's kind of the key to this? I do. And I... <sighs> The work that I've been doing 
over the last sort of year or two and the lack of response i want to say from from agencies um and and existing pr people that i know like when we start talking about disability things go very quiet right and i i think there's a couple of reasons for that but that is what increasingly i am finding okay. now that kind of lead, has led me to question whether it is worth investing effort and in trying to fix the existing status quo in, in agencies and and or whether we really need to be putting investment into younger people okay. and see more younger people come through and startup agencies and young PR agencies and actually making them different from the get-go. Right. So you, your view is forget this generation effectively. Let's get the pressure on the young people coming through to put the pressure on internally and it might change that way. A little bit, yes. And I think that's because we've been talking about disability and, and diversity and gender pay gap and black and ethnic minority hiring for a long time now. This is not new. We know that we should be, do, we should be doing it. We know that we should change our practices. And yet our diversity statistics and public relations are still atrocious. Yeah. So something is not right. Something is broken in that chain. And that's what I'm really intrigued to, to figure out what that is. And that's partly why I started the Disability PR Network, because I, I want to understand that disconnect. Because when you look at the reports, the state of the profession reports that come out, it's overwhelmingly positive about the benefits of diversity. Mm-hmm. But the statistics just don't match it and they're con- consistently not matching it. So we need to figure out what that issue is, I think, as a, as a sector. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's um, it's a really interesting area. Look, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but we're kind of out of time. Where can people get hold of you if they would like to follow up more on this with you specifically? So the best place for me is probably Twitter. I am on there a lot and I'm at Sarah L. Hawthorne. So that's S-A-R-A-L for Lima Hawthorne without an E on Twitter or the Disability PR Network on Twitter as well. So always really keen to hear from agencies um, and and people working in the field to discuss disability and diversity. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, just Sarah Hawthorne, but Twitter is probably your best bet. Yeah, lovely. And just before you go, you are a member of my digital download members group, which is lovely. I am. Do you just want to give a a few words on, on what you like about being a member of that group? That's fine. I mean, I'll go through exactly what we rehearsed before. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> to clarify, no, this is all for that. Um, like I say, I uh, have been a member for a little while now of your group. And one of the, the reasons is that I think collaboration between people of different, different disciplines within public relations and marketing and social is really important these days because things change so fast, algorithms change, trends change, technology comes out. And it's really difficult if you are on your own to keep up with all those changes. And what digital download allows me to do is post a quick message on a help forum or to chat through other challenges that we're having and realise that it's not just me, it might be two or three of us are facing this thing. And it's, it's really beneficial and important to be able to keep delivering a really good service to clients, actually, because we can stay at the top of our game through it. Yeah, me too. I totally agree with you. Well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Like I say, this is such a big topic. And undoubtedly, we'll come back to it again at some stage on this podcast. So in the meantime, though, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Have a great day. (laughs) 
You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter where I'm at the Paul Sutton. Thank you for listening.